When you hear about violence and terrorism breaking out in places around the world and even here in the United States, are you tempted to fear? Fear can keep us from moving forward and doing all that God has called us to do. Today we'll hear from followers of Jesus who have said no to fear and put their lives in God's hands. As you hear these stories, you'll be encouraged also to say no to fear and yes to all that God has for you. This young man, he told me, I had the honor of being tortured for Jesus. He used that word, honor. Are, are we not called to love our enemies? doesn't matter if they are terrorists. My response is still to show them the love of Jesus. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. So the first bullet went through my knee, and then the second bullet went through uh, the shin of my leg. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Man, my heart was pounding so fast, I thought, what's going to happen to me? Are they going to shoot me? Are they going to cut off my head? Are they going to cut off my arm? What are they going to do to me? Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. For our brothers and sisters in the Middle East, Central Asian, Islamic-type nations, they live in the face of danger, difficulties, and even death. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're celebrating the end of our first complete year on the air. So thankful for all that God has done this year and for all who have listened and supported the program. Thank you for the notes and the emails and the phone calls. Last week, we heard some of the highlights from 2015, and today we're going to continue with that. One of the highlights for me was speaking with a guest we just called Brother Jay in order to protect his security. He helped us appreciate what a gift it is to gather together and worship the Lord. I don't know how it is at your church, how you gather together, but he shared how difficult it is for believers in Afghanistan to meet together to worship the Lord. They gather in small groups in houses. So we're talking about places where you wouldn't go and find a church with a steeple on it. Jesus said whenever two or three or wherever two or three gather. And so you might find a group of a couple of men sitting in a park and have no idea what they're doing, but they're there fellowshipping in the name of the Lord, sitting on the ground on the, in the park. They may not have a Bible in their hand, but they have the word in their heart and they're sharing with each other and encouraging each other in the Lord. They might be in a car. You could be in Kabul, for example, and there'd be thousands of vehicles and you not know that two or three of these men in this car, they actually love Jesus and they're fellowshipping with one another in his name. They may have a, a little device in their radio where they're singing some songs about the Lord and listening to scripture and encouraging one another. And it's like a little mobile church, if you will. <laughs> The stories that Brother Jay has been telling us remind us to be thankful for the freedom that we have here in the United States to worship the Lord. Hearing about the struggles of believers around the world puts some of our own concerns in a little bit of a different perspective. It encourages us to face any difficulty with thankfulness and joy. Here on Voice of the Martyrs Radio this year, we also heard from Pastor Hormoz Shariat from Iran about a pastor there suffering intense persecution. And instead of complaining, this pastor talked about what an honor it was. 
Uh, one of our young leaders, uh, 22 year old, he was arrested. He was a leader of uh, three house churches, which by itself is amazing. A young person <laughs> leading 22 <laughs> leading three churches. <laughs> Uh, he was arrested, and uh, they kept him, and they tor- tortured him. And then because of uh, health, they said, we're going to let you go for a week, get some medical attention. Then you come back and serve the rest of your term. So um, while he was out, he meant, he contacted one of the people. I want to talk to Pastor Hormoz. I was alarmed. So I'm going to talk to this young man. Uh, and we set up the phone appointment. And I was ready for the phone call, and I was thinking, I was a little bit nervous. So, okay, let me prepare myself. This young man is going to call me. What is going to ask me? He probably going to ask me something like, where was God? Why did God allow me to be arrested? I was just serving him, and he's powerful, and he's loving. Why did that happen? And when I was tortured, why did God allow that? Where was God then? when uh, people uh, were burning cigarettes on my body and all that. so, And maybe uh, I was thinking myself, maybe he was going to ask me, by the way, Pastor Ramos, where were you? Um, did you do anything for me? And you're sitting, you know, you're in a West, uh, relatively safe, and you ask us to go and to, uh, be tortured and pay the price. I was preparing myself for that kind of que- those kind of questions, and I answered the phone, and I was surprised, and I was deeply touched. Uh, This young man, sweet, sweet words, sweet spirit. He told me, Pastor Ormos, I had the honor of being tortured for Jesus. He used that word, honored. What? Tell me more about it. He said, and he was telling me about his experience with Jesus in jail. And then he said, Pastor Mas, do you know that verse in Psalm 23? Says, it says, I set the table before enemies. He has set the table before my enemies. Yeah, yeah. He said, how can you experience that verse if your enemies are not there? He said, I had, again, listen, again, he used that word. He said, I had the honor of experiencing that verse in the torture chamber in front of my torturers. Jesus was there. I had a deep experience with Jesus. Sweet young man. And we he hangs up and I'm saying, you changed my life the rest of my life. I'm not going to be the same. That's Pastor Hormoz Shariat opening our eyes to some of the persecution taking place in Iran. Hearing stories like this can be difficult, but it's also important Knowing what's going on with believers in places like Iran helps you and I to pray more effectively for them. I'm Todd Nettleton, and today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, we're looking back at some highlights from our first year of broadcasting. You can hear the complete conversations with each of these guests at our website, which is vomradio.net. That's vomradio.net. Stories like these give us perspective when we hear about violence and terrorism around the world. When we turn on the news or look at the newspaper, it's easy to get discouraged. But these stories remind us that even behind the bad news, God is doing some remarkable and amazing things around the world. Earlier this year, we had a guest that, uh, again, for security, we just used one name. We called him Brother Harold. He reminded us that even amidst persecution and danger, there is a real opportunity 
to follow Christ's call to love our enemies. Anytime you're living and ministering in the Muslim world, you're going to face a variety of challenges. Our desire is to, is to build bridges to the community. And so, you know, as we go in and we lived and participate in life there, you know, having children on the field, you know, putting our kids in school, learning the language, interacting. And as we've developed that, we've been embraced and just so many friends and family there have just accepted us into their home. And, and as a result, we've earned the right to speak into their lives and to demonstrate the love of Jesus in that. And so we're received and they hear what we have to say and they want to hear what they have to say. I have a friend of mine I've known for years, and seven years in, he came to me and said, I want to know how you and your wife interact. You guys are a little different, and, and my wife and I, we notice it, and we like it, and I want to hear. Of course, and I'm like, well, you know, I have talked with him several times about the Bible. He said, no, 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 I don't want to hear anything about that. I want you to tell me. But I'm able to tell him stories from Scripture and just, in you know, truth just presented through the way we live and do things and, and able to, you know, impact in that way. And so... Um, I just think, you know, genuinely loving people is just so powerful, so powerful. You don't have to go to Central Asia to meet mm -mm. Muslims. You know, we, we yeah. live in America. There's Believe a lot of Muslims. over 7 million here. Muslims in North America now. What do our listeners need to know or, or what do they need to think about to engage? Because I know a lot of Americans start with the—they start with fear. Oh. Right. Oh, is that guy a terrorist? Yeah, it's one of the things I've experienced here in North America. It seems like that fear is just really growing and, and, and really gripping the, the hearts of people. And it's a sad thing because that is not the majority of the Muslim world. Now, absolutely, there are some terrorist crazy things out there. ISIS is ridiculous. But I tell you what, almost all of my friends in, in the Muslim part of the world, they dislike them as much as we do. They think it's crazy, you know. And, and so the people in North America who've come here, they are... 99% of the time, just like you and I, families just trying to, you know, live their lives and do their best, and they're just coming here for a better life and, and to work and to do things. And the best thing we can do is to show them the love of Jesus. You know, when you hear testimonies of people who Muslims who've come to faith in America, it's because someone over and over again just loved them. You know, you got a neighbor, take them some cookies, invite them, go introduce them. Understanding that these people are coming from worlds where community was their life. They come to North America, well, you know, we're a little more independent than the rest of the world. We, we, we don't really commune like that. And so for someone to reach out to them, they would be longing for that in those kind of relationships. And you can make lifelong friendships and really meet some great people and uh, just with the opportunity to go and show love. And don't think you have to read up on the Quran and be able to, you know, argue and, and get in. You don't need to worry about that. Ask them, sit down. Hey, tell me about Islam. You know, I want to learn. And maybe they'll ask you about Christianity. And no need to debate and argue over things, but just continually show love. And, um, you, you know, when you do that, you'll be amazed at the, at the way the walls will just fall down. Um, but that's what I just encourage people to go out. And, you know, there's the people out there say, well, what about the terrorists? We find them out there. And my response to that is, does it matter? Is our response different? Are, are we not called to love our enemies just as much? So for me, the, I've just come to the point, it doesn't matter if they are terrorists, if they are trying to, you know, take over my world. My response is still to show them the love of Jesus. And so regardless of who they may be, that's what I've been called to do. And I'm going to do that as best as I can. We've been hearing from a guest that we just call Brother Harold. He's been reminding us about the command of Jesus. It's a command that all of us know, the command to love your enemies. In our world today, a lot of believers are being given the opportunity to actively live that out. I'm Todd Nettleton. This is Voice of the Martyrs Radio. We're reviewing highlights from the past year of our broadcast. And for me, those highlights have to include my conversation with Patrick Klein. Patrick is a Bible smuggler. In fact, the subtitle of his book is Confessions of a Bible Smuggler. 
He's courageously followed God's call on his life to smuggle Bibles into some of the most difficult and hostile places on earth. I had about 80 Bibles in my bag, and, you know, I'm going into Iran. I've never been into Iran at that point before, and so I didn't know what to expect. And so I I checked in in Istanbul, Turkey, flying directly to Tehran, and I thought, what did I just do? I just checked in to go to Iran with 80 Bibles in my bag, Lord, I need help. And so I called my board members back in Montana. I said, would you get the board praying? And so when I got there, um, we arrived at 2.30 in the morning. Women were covered from head to toe in black. You could feel the oppression in the air and the fear. This man said, come over here. We have to stamp your passport. So we went with him. And, and then he said, um, you, we have to fingerprint you because you're Americans. He said, come with me. I love America. <laughs> You know, That's good news. <laughs> all these things you hear about Iran and how they hate us and everything else was not true. And they absolutely love us. And so he fingerprinted us, and then we kind of laughed and joked with him. And he said, now go back and go through customs. So when I looked over the balcony, there's nobody down by the extra machines. Well, by the time we got down there, got our bags, this man steps up out of nowhere. And I thought, oh, Lord, what's going to happen, you know? <laughs> and he says to me, put your suitcases on the X machine. Man, my heart was pounding so fast. I thought, what's going to happen to me? Are they going to shoot me? Are they going to cut off my head? Are they going to cut off my arm? What are they going to do to me? And so I'm loading these suitcases on the X machine. He says, you guys tourists? And we said, yes. And he said, from where? We said, we're from America. He said, you're from America? He said, I love America. <laughs> and he said, take your suitcases off the X machine. You can go right through. You're Americans. Wow. <laughs> Talk about the role that prayer plays in the work that you do, and even, like I say, even inside the airport, inside the customs office, how you're, how you're praying during those times. You know, I, what I do now is I pray before I go through the border that God will wake up people at, in America and around the world that Christians will be praying, because I believe that we all work together in the body of Christ. And so, um, but I'm also praying, Lord, help me be sensitive to the Holy Spirit to know what's the strategy to go through, because it's not always the same. And one time I actually went into China, there was, there was 10 of us, and we had a huge load of Bibles, 1,400 pounds of Bibles, 140 pounds apiece, <laughs> all these duffel bags. And um, there was four customs guards light up against the wall, and we walked right between them and the x-ray machines. And they did, it was like they didn't even see us. And I believe that God answered that prayer. And the fact that 10 of us walked right through with them not even looking at us and stopping anything was, was really a miracle. And so I see that without prayer, there's no way you can do it. That's Patrick Klein. This is Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I'm Todd Nettleton. Today we're reviewing highlights from the program in 2015. These are stories that challenge all of us to follow the Lord without fear even in the face of great danger. Earlier this year, we heard from a missionary in Niger named Brent Teague. He did face incredible danger, but he also experienced the protection and the peace of God, even right in the middle of that attack. Well, I really shouldn't be alive. It was May 11th of 2004, and I was going up to a village about 90 kilometers north of the capital city of Niamey in in Niger, and uh, these uh, uh, Al-Qaeda operatives were in another vehicle that came alongside our vehicle in broad daylight and opened fire with a machine gun through the driver's door. So the first bullet went through my knee, and then the second bullet went through uh, the shin of my leg. I just missed the uh, main artery by about a millimeter. I got the car stopped, and they commandeered our vehicle and followed in theirs and took us off-road. 
and robbed us. And uh, at that time, they weren't kidnapping Westerners like they are today. They were carjacking. And uh, But anyway, I ended up in the middle of the desert, and uh, I had no hope for, honestly, no hope for survival. Um, they discussed finishing us off, uh, but uh, the commander decided not to waste the ammunition. They thought I was going to die anyway. Well, I was praying at first. I was really questioning God why he permitted me to be in the situation I was at. And then I realized I'm going to be seeing Jesus soon. I need to have a better attitude. And so then I just started worshiping the Lord and thanking him for saving me and for all he's done in my life and thanking him for the privilege of serving him. And then it's when I started praying for Shelly and my two daughters uh, that I heard this voice. I mean, it's like talking right here. And it was a question. God just spoke to me and said, who told you your mission on earth is over? And uh, it was just shocking. And then I just responded and said, well, Lord, if, if you want me to work and continue to work, I'm willing, but you're gonna have to do a miracle in a hurry. Although I didn't know that 40 minutes before he'd already done the first miracle. Uh, the miracle is, is that there was an anonymous phone call to the federal troopers office, the gendarme, gendarmerie in the capital city, telling them that I'd been shot, that I was critically wounded and giving them my location where I'd been dumped in the desert and the miracle is, is that that phone call came 30 minutes before I was ever attacked. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gotten to me on time. So uh, I don't know how God did that, but uh, it happened. Well, I think the experience has really changed my perspective because when I was laying there at death's door, I realized at that point that what we spend most of our time searching after things, material things, uh, positions and all those kinds of things really are temporal, and they're they're gone just like that. And what really counts, the only two things that mattered to me when I was dying was my family and my relationship with the Lord and what I was doing for Him. And I realized when I go to meet Him, it doesn't matter what house I lived in or what car I drove or what clothes I, I, I have a habit of wearing. What matters is, did, did I respond to His will and did I accomplish the mission He had for me? And so it's like a second chance. And as a result of going back to Niger, in that area where I was shot, I'd been trying to get approval, permission from the chiefs and the villages along the Niger River to preach, and they'd been hostile and refused. Well, after being shot and coming back, when they saw me, they said, you shouldn't be alive. God's with you. And so they opened and gave me opportunity in village after village along the Niger River to uh, preach the gospel. When we put our complete trust in the Lord's hands, he gives us peace. He provides protection, even uh, spiritual and emotional protection, if not physical protection. We just heard an example of that from Brent Teague, a missionary in Niger. God also provides peace and protection for our children. Gracia Burnham, former missionary hostage in the Philippines, saw this firsthand. She watched her husband give his life for the gospel. When she came back, she had to face the fear of, of what that would do to her children. Are my kids going to survive the loss of their father? Is their faith going to be whole in spite of this sacrifice? She saw firsthand as God provided for every need that her children had. I saw that they were the same kids. They were just a year older, and they seemed so well-adjusted and I thought, how can this be? And then I started meeting the people that God had surrounded them with. 
their teachers at school, and they went to a public school, but their teachers loved Jesus, and their youth pastor, and their pastor at church, and their grandma and grandpa, Martin's mom and dad, is who the kids went home to live with for that year, and they are people of great faith. So they were surrounded by these people who loved the Lord and were trusting him, and the kids were fine. And what the kids said to me was, Mom, we're so glad that one of you got to come home. We didn't want to be orphans. We wanted one of you to come home. And that's exactly what Martin and I were praying in the jungle. Oh, Lord, let one of us go home. And, uh, of course, we wanted both of us to come home. But the kids chose to see the good side of things. And the kids love the Lord. The kids have a heart for the Lord. They're they're involved in missions and ministry. And uh, God's just really been good to me on on that front. I haven't had to worry about the kids. That's Gracia Burnham on God's protection for our children. There's no place that our kids are safer than in the center of God's will. Brian and Louise Hogan had to learn to trust their son to God's will in a very dramatic way in Mongolia. After seeing very little fruit for their missionary efforts, they began to see a breakthrough when they started referring to the true God by the traditional Mongolian name for God. Mongolians understood that name, Borhan. And so we decided to use this and explain who Borhan was. And we asked our believers from now on in public proclamation, please use Borhan. Don't use this made-up word, Yurtensenitsen. And they began to do that at the exact same week that we made that change. A group of um, believers from a Bible school in Russia showed up and asked if they could minister in the community under our direction. They began to pray for sick people, and signs and wonders broke out. And people were so astounded, and they're saying, who's doing this? That was the major question of the crowds of people to the young Mongolian girl who was translating. And she, out of, out of route memory, she started to say, it's Yurtensen, and she caught herself and she said, Borhan is doing this. The, the Gansun and Borhan, the one true God, has shown up here in Erdenet, and he's doing this through his son, Borhani Hu Yesus, his son Jesus. And everything changed in that moment. The lights went on for the first time in Mongolians over the age of 20, and they swarmed into the church. The church began to grow, but God had a plan to make it explode even more. But it was a plan that required sacrifice. Brian and Louise couldn't see it at the time, but in God's wisdom, he allowed the church to suffer persecution, threats from a cult, and a church split. And this season of suffering included great personal loss for Brian and Louise. A friend of mine said throughout history, whenever the kingdom advanced, someone first had to pay a terrible price. And we discovered that during this two months of attack, and uh, we were devastated, and we were thinking of pulling out and everything. It was that bad. It didn't look like the church was even going to survive. We didn't know that that terrible price could even be, be much worse than we could imagine and could hit home so closely. On Christmas Eve, I awoke to Louise's screams from where our baby had been in bed. And she had found that Jedediah, who had been perfectly healthy as we laid him down the night before, had died during the night of sudden infant death syndrome. And it was like the, the attack and the horror 
uh, took a, a new level in an instant, and I felt like I was in a nightmare that there was no way to shake myself out of. Um, you know, there's, there, it's almost impossible to really describe uh, what it was like, but that day was obviously one of the worst of our entire lives, and we, um, God brought us through it. He was there with us. We felt the presence of God in a way beyond that we'd ever felt him before, but the actual walking through and the suffering that was involved in in losing a child in a foreign country, in being so far away from family and friends that you literally can't even make a phone call that'll get through, um, to be in a foreign place where even your team members are from other nationalities and are not can't relate on the level of being parents. We were the only parents on the team. Um, you know, so many things like that. Uh, made it particularly hard to have to lay my son down in a Mongolian hospital morgue that was a building out back designed to let the cold air in because they freeze the bodies over the winter and they only bury in the spring. And to walk into that place of death and see bodies piled so high on every wall broke my heart and to leave to leave Jedediah's body there. And then to have to hack a grave into the frozen soil three days later and kneel down and lay my son yeah, there's nothing that can prepare you for that. And, you know, I've told people a lot of times, I am really glad that God doesn't tell us our stories before we need to hear them. I had, there's no guarantee that I could have obeyed had I known what was coming. After the death of their son, Brian and Louise wanted to take a furlough. They wanted to come home to the United States and process their grief. Even that was not to be. God told us we needed to stay and grieve with the Mongolian church. And I, at first, I couldn't understand this. We were the only missionaries at this point in the country who'd been there for the length of time we had without a break. So if anybody was due for a break, it was the Hogan family. And God told us to stay. And then the other thing I I couldn't understand was Mongols don't like public display of emotion. And that's pretty much all we had at this point. So it's like, how will this bless your kingdom? I was, I was giving God lessons about Mongolian culture and saying, God, that's not such a great idea, which, you know, looking back on is pretty laughable, me instructing God. But at the time, I just thought, this can't be right. I mean, we have to leave, right, and then come back. And so we stayed, and we cried, and we grieved, and we, and, but we grieved with hope. And, and we, without even feeling like, we needed to communicate anything. When we were talking to Mongolians, it would inevitably come up that we were going to see our son again and that we had that hope and that was a rock in our lives. And um, that was absolutely transformational to them. They'd never even dreamed that it was possible to grieve with hope. It had an incredible impact on the Mongolian church. And they look back to it as one of the most important single events in the planning of the church there, not just the church in Erdnet, but across the country, this story was repeated, Mongolian to Mongolian to Mongolian. We've been hearing from Brian and Louise Hogan, missionaries to Mongolia. They were called to do something that seemed impossible. They let the story of their own personal grief be lost in God's bigger story, of drawing people in Mongolia to him. I'm Todd Nettleton. This is Voice of the Martyrs Radio. During this entire program, we've heard about people responding to God's calling, even in difficult situations, in the face of persecution and grief and loss. When we hear stories like this, I think all of us need to ask, okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? What are you calling me to do? What are the steps you want me to take? 
Stories like this help us live our faith more effectively right where we are. Each of these clips is a part of an entire conversation that we had this year on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I hope you'll go to vomradio.net and listen to the entire conversations. You can download each episode as a podcast. You can listen on your way to work or when you're out for a run. Share them with your family and your Christian friends. All of us can be encouraged by the stories of our persecuted brothers and sisters. All of us can have our faith challenged by their faithfulness in spite of persecution, in spite of difficulty. Thank you for being with us. This is Todd Nettleson, and you're listening to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.